If you want more from Dee and her sister and partner in crime, Rhonda, check out Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. You're listening to We Knew the Moon with Dee Safier, an empath who started a podcast to explore the universe, spirituality, and all things witchy woo-woo. Don't forget to check out the website, wenewthemoon.co.uk for all your I do what I want and the moon made me do it merch, whichever excuse you prefer to use for all of your life choices. Hi everyone, this is Dee and I am joined today with Hakam. Hello. Hello. Hi Dee. We've got Hakam now for two episodes, one where I will be covering a topic with him and then the next episode he will be um, he will be presenting his topic to me, and I'm really excited. I'm excited. Because, yeah. Hakam, you are a fellow Palestinian. I am. I am. Mm. I'm really excited to be on this phone call. We haven't talked in, like, over 10 years, and the I first know. time we talk, we're doing a podcast. I know. So funny, right? So, Hakam yeah. used to work with my dad when he was based in the States, which was quite a long time ago. It was one of those situations where I was like, oh, yeah, a couple of years ago when he was in the States, and then realized, oh, no, I mean, like, 10 to 15 years ago, right? You know, disclaimer, you think- I am I am D's dad's uh number one fan. Like that's just right off the top there. Number one yeah, fan. Love me the guy. too. Me too. We love Papa <laughs> don't we? <laughs> I need to yes, get him on do. this podcast. <laughs> I don't even know if he listens to it. I know you listened to one episode with me and my sister. <laughs> he might have some great content for you. <laughs> yeah, he, re- he really would. Um, so on that note, and the fact that we share our heritage. I picked the topic of Jerusalem syndrome to do with you today because it is something that I knew about but didn't really know very much about and wanted to know more about and thought it would be fun to share with a fellow Palestinian. So are you in? Fun. I know nothing about it. So I am just a blank slate. So right. let me let me have it. Yeah, it's not um, super well known. I talk about it a lot and most people give me blank scares, stares when I raise it. So um but yeah, I've got a couple of sources that I'm just going to list really quickly. Um, of course, our one true love, the University of Wikipedia. Um, there's an amazing Guardian article called What is Jerusalem Syndrome? As well as a Wired article called Jerusalem Syndrome. Um, so I'm going to do a quick history of Jerusalem. Uh, just joking, because that would take yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would take over 400 years. Um, That's a podcast series, yeah. Yeah, but if you wanted to uh, do a little bit of research into Jerusalem, then I really recommend this book, um, which is a biography of the city of Jerusalem by Simon Sebag Montefiore. I just read that. That's awesome that you're referencing that. Oh, good, because I read it when it first came out, and I don't remember anything of it except that it was fairly good. So was my (laughs) recollection accurate? Is it fairly good? It's fascinating. I mean, the research behind it was just impeccable. I I learned so much. It was very valuable. Okay, great. So if you want your um, history of Jerusalem, then that will be our go-to. I'll pop the recommendation in the show notes. Um, So before we start, I wanted to ask you, Hakam, you've been to the Old City, haven't you? To Jerusalem? Once. Once. And what were your thoughts on the Old City of Jerusalem? Oh, you know, I really do think that cities have vibes. So if mm-hmm. you've ever been to New York City, there's this hum. It's kind of like coffee and business. It just hums. Yeah. And um, 
and Jerusalem had its own um, its own vibe as well. I, I I mean there was a holiness to it for certain, um, but then there was also a, a melting pot vibe. Yeah. And um, you know, there's just so much going on. It was like a tapestry, or just that—that's as close as I can get to it. But you're from Jerusalem, so you have ideas. Let me know. Yeah, I just think like the old city of Jerusalem is one of my most favorite places in the world because it feels so magical. You can feel the history, the living history, right? Because it almost looks exactly as it did hundreds of years ago. Exactly. And like you say, the melting pot—you've got, you know people of very obviously different religions and backgrounds and so forth, just walking around and mind, <laughs> I say minding their own business if it was that simple. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. I'm going to post loads of pictures on socials, but especially the old city, which is all, you know, carved out of the rock and all these like little windy streets and staircases up and down. So yeah, you really get a sense of what it was, what it's been like for centuries. And I think mm-hmm. even if you're not religious, my full disclosure, I'm not religious at all. You can't help but be moved by the history, right? Because it's it's like local history. This is exactly, this is where Jesus did this. And this is where Peter did that and Paul did that and whatever. It's kind of where people go to do religion, yeah. if that yeah. makes any sense. To get their religion badge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, you have all of the like the political situation and the context today which adds Mm. to the sort of overwhelming nature of the city. So it's not really a surprise that some people get um, overwhelmed emotionally and spiritually when they come to the city. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially what Jerusalem syndrome is. Okay. So in a nutshell, it's a group of mental phenomena involving religiously themed obsessive ideas and delusions triggered by a visit to Jerusalem. So it's one of the few mental um, phenomena that is linked specifically to a location, which Hmm. I thought was quite interesting. It's most common in people who are already religious, you know, and that's the most common reason for going over to Jerusalem if you're not from the area, a religious tourist, exactly. But it's not always the case. And it's also not specific to any one religion. So Hmm. you can have Jews, Christians, Muslims alike that can be affected or afflicted by Jerusalem syndrome. I should note that it's not listed as a recognized condition in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders or the International Classification of Diseases, which I presume are the sort of go-to Bibles. But it is, it's also known to be very short-lived and it usually dies down immediately after leaving the region. Jerusalem syndrome has actually been described as early as the Middle Ages and then during the 19th century and then again in the 1930s as Jerusalem fever, which is a form of hysteria described by Heinz Hermann, one of the founders of modern psychiatric research in Israel. So um, we've got a long history of it popping up. It's been around for a while. There is a um, Bar El et, et Al. Oh, that's hard to say. Um, They seem to be the experts in the field. And in 2000, they published an article in the British Journal of Psychiatry. The article was called Jerusalem Syndrome. They say that Jerusalem Syndrome affected tourists in the city of Jerusalem who have no previous psychiatric history. So they have no previous history of mental illness or any conditions. And it particularly affects people who are mentally ill-prepared for their arrival in Jerusalem. 
And so these, um, these psychiatrists, R.L. et al., in their 2000 article, they said that there was an increase in Jerusalem syndrome around the year 2000 because of the religious significance of the millennium. Of course. Yeah. So that makes sense, doesn't it? They reported 42 people in 13 years. 42. In 13 years? Yeah. Like two a year-ish, right? I don't know. It's just so unusual that you would have thought we'd hear more about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or that it's rare, but interesting. That's what I'm makes really it interesting, maybe. Exactly. And I'm really disappointed that I haven't actually met anyone going through Jerusalem syndrome at the time. Um, so Bar L et al, they decided to outline three types of Jerusalem syndrome. Okay. okay. The first one, type one, is a person who's already been diagnosed with psychiatric mental health issues before visiting Jerusalem. So they already have mm-hmm. pre-existing conditions. Right. They are coming to the area because they already have religious delusions. The most common mental health issue is schizophrenia that is linked to this type one Jerusalem syndrome. Type two is someone who is deeply religious and coming to Jerusalem for that reason, but has no prior mental health issues. So type one, they have mental health issues. Type two, they don't have mental health issues, but they are deeply religious. Type three is the strangest one and the one I find most interesting because it's for tourists who have no previous mental health issues, nor are they religious. But yet when they get to Jerusalem, they have some kind of psychotic episode, which they then recover from as soon as they leave Jerusalem. This is known as true Jerusalem syndrome. That's intense. I'm wondering if those tourists have traveled much before or if this is their first trip outside of whatever country they're from. Right, so if you mean like the overwhelming nature of just being in like a culture shock maybe. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. that's triggering them. Well, it's interesting because although these, this is what is known as true Jerusalem syndrome and it's perhaps the most unusual because it's the most difficult to explain, um, a lot of these people that suffered from this true Jerusalem syndrome were coming from ultra-religious families so although they're not religious, deeply religious, they do have that religious background. Okay. So I wonder if that, how much that plays a role. The, in this 13-year period, those 42 patients were suffering from true Jerusalem syndrome, but there was actually more suffering from the other types. So basically, in that 13-year period, we had 1,200 tourists with severe Jerusalem-themed mental health issues admitted into hospital. I love it. Jerusalem themed. <laughs> Jerusalem themed mental health issues. I think most of my mental health issues are Jerusalem themed also, but for different reasons. <laughs> so, I mean, of these, 470 were admitted into hospital. Almost all of them, the minute they left the region, the mental health issues disappeared. Huh. Which, uh, I don't know, I just, I can't explain it. Can you? So, but basically there's a lot of controversy around Jerusalem syndrome. It's not recognized as an individual uh, specific illness. It's not recognized as a standalone mental health issue, but there's a debate around it as to whether it's a distinct form of psychosis or whether it's a manifestation of previously existing psychotic illnesses. What I wanted to do is have a little look at different ways in which Jerusalem syndrome manifests itself. Okay. 
So we are going to cover the story of the British tourist, Oliver McAfee, who went missing in the Negev desert. Huh. That's no joke, going missing in a desert, is it? It's not a huge desert, no, but no. a desert nonetheless. So Oliver McAfee was a devout Christian. He was 29-year-old British tourist who was traveling in Israel when he disappeared in November 2017. Oh, this is recent. Yeah, recent. And spoiler alert, he's still missing. Uh oh. <laughs> so, and again, Israel Palestine together are tiny. I don't know how much this will resonate with you because you're based in the States, but I always tell people that Israel and Palestine combined is about the size of Wales. Yeah. So it's tiny, 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 tiny. So it, it just, it seems baffling that someone could go missing. Yeah, especially with all the technology and satellites and everything that's going on, right? it to be able to find somebody. Yeah. Exactly. He was basically cycling through the Negev Desert in southern Israel. Hikers later found his wallet and his laptop. There was also a trail of pages torn out from the Bible. Weird. Along with his notes, which indicated that he deliberately went into the desert because he referenced the story of Jesus going into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. So seems he had some religious delusions. I've read a bunch of articles on this guy and I just could not find an update. And so I can only come to the conclusion that he has not been found. There's still a Facebook group. It's not active I mean, though. On the one hand, it's like poor guy. But then on the other hand, you're like weird. What's that about? <laughs> There wasn't much said about his um, mental health before he got to the region, but he does fall into that category number two, definitely, in that he was religious. He was a devout Christian, and that's the reason why he went to the region. Not saying that religious people are delusional, but (laughs) there's a Facebook group, Help Us Find Ollie, but the post stopped around 2019. And like I said, there was no indication of whether he was found or not, but I feel like that group that was active. If he was found, they would have made a post that he was found. Right. Yeah. So I don't know whether because of COVID and, you know, everything slowed down, including the search for him. So it's really quite sad. There was another case that I found quite interesting in 1969. It was a case of suspected Jerusalem syndrome. It was an Australian called Dennis Michael Rohan, who set fire to the Al-Aqsa Mosque because he thought he was on a divine mission. I never heard of this. Had you? Oh, yeah, of course. In 1969. Yeah. It caused riots in the city. I hadn't heard. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently that guy was suffering from Jerusalem syndrome. He was an idiot. Well, yeah, for sure. Then we have another story of an American guy called Ronald Hodge, who was about 40. His wife told him out of the blue that she no longer loved him. So a couple of weeks later, he made um, he was also made redundant. So his life is basically going down the shitter a little bit. He started attending church. He used to go to church, but there had been a long gap. Um, So he started reattending church, which you can understand. He clearly wanted a bit of support and faith and community if he's going through such a hard time. So then he started going to, he started going to church weekly and then he started to go daily, which is for me where it starts going a bit cuckoo bananas, right? Daily is a bit much like usually just go to the pub is cool. 
Like, because <laughs> I was thinking, who has the time to go to church daily? Like, how do you have time to have a? Oh, I, I was going to say have a job, but he got made redundant. Maybe that's the key. <laughs> so Ronald eventually decided to go and visit the Holy Land for himself because he's getting more and more religious. So it made sense to go and do this pilgrimage. Um, he went to go and stay in a hostel in the old city uh, by the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is like the most religious place for Christians in Jerusalem. Um, it's supposedly where Jesus was crucified and also where he came back to life. It's also where his tomb is, where a bunch of stuff happens, huh? And there's quite a few hostels, which is cool. I think I stayed in one in the Armenian quarter. I don't know how that how close that is to to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. But I mean, the old city uh, is a one square kilometer, so it's probably right. Close. So everything is <laughs> kind of close to everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but that's the experience. I mean, these hostels have been around for centuries, and yeah. you know, pilgrims go there and they stay in hostels. So yeah, exactly. And the hostels in the old city are mainly linked to sort of monasteries or religious yep. orders and so forth. So. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. They're essentially like hostels, like you imagine, for backpackers, um, i.e. my idea of a nightmare. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so the Holy Sepulchre, um, you've been, it's gorgeous, it's creepy, it's intimidating, it's beautiful, it's yeah. moody, it's, it, it's weird, it's got like a million different nooks and crannies. There's about every branch of Christianity has a claim on it or a little corner that they operate out of. They have yeah. fisticuffs during Easter celebrations and so forth between the they different priests. Do. I mean, they it's do. it's a, such a strange place, isn't it? The Holy Sepulchre. Yeah. And it comes with such a baggage of history that you just yeah. feel the weight of it when you're there. It's just all this history on your head. Exactly. It is. If you're going to get Jerusalem syndrome, it'll be in there, won't it? I mean, you. So can... what did this guy do? He goes to the church, right? So he's staying in this um, hostel in the old city near the Holy Sepulchre. He spent much of his time in different churches praying, um, and he started to become unable to sleep at night because of his religious fervor. So you know, lack of sleep is never a good thing, and so he starts hearing voices. He says he felt it in his chest um, and then the vibrations started getting louder and louder. Um, and he believed that it was the Holy Ghost communicating with him. Okay. And sometimes it was Jesus communicating with him. And the vibrations started telling him to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. So again, like our friend um, Ollie, who went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't feel scared. He rather felt reassured that he was being guided and being told what to do like a child. So he started his fast. Uh, eventually, the other backpackers started getting really worried because he was um, really dirty. He was losing loads of weight. He was acting unpredictably and he was hallucinating and he was singing the word Jesus over and over and over again, which Whoa. in a hostile environment would be really fucking annoying, wouldn't it? you're Whoa, trying to sleep okay. and someone's chanting jesus yeah i mean snoring is one thing and chanting is another right yeah snoring i can handle <laughs> i mean it, it feels more forgivable but yeah yeah i'm a light sleeper so all of this is just triggering me <laughs> i'm the snorer that's why i'm like exempt me please <laughs> <laughs> like i said i would forgive the snoring um yeah so he starts hanging out in the hostel lobby and introducing himself to other people as the Messiah. 
Can you imagine? Uh -oh, here we go. You, you first arrive at Jerusalem for your religious pilgrimage, and there's this guy in the hotel lobby introducing himself as the Messiah. <laughs> so finally, the hostel manager got so annoyed that he was scaring people away, so he basically got him admitted into hospital, was sent home, and very quickly... Recovered. Um, recovered, exactly. It did come across this joke in psychiatry. If you talk to God, it's called praying. If God talks to you, you're nuts. There we go. <laughs> so there's um, a lot of study around Jerusalem syndrome and whether it's someone, whether you already have a, you know, a mental health condition, whether Jerusalem is the trigger, whether it's the cause. But I looked a little bit into what is happening in the brain when Jerusalem syndrome occurs, because there was a um, Andrew Newberg of Thomas Jefferson Uni in Philadelphia. He did some imaging studies on people during moments of extreme devotion. What do we think extreme devotion is? Like, so I've always seen people that get into these like eyes closed sort of chanting, you know, where they don't really care how they look and I'm yes. wondering like what what it what it is that they're going through like what what's what's going on in their brains at that moment and and so I'm, I'm really interested in hearing what the science yeah. there has to say so I am picturing when I think of extreme devotion I'm picturing exactly that in the holy sepulcher there's the slab where Jesus what I think I could be wrong I'm probably wrong but it's the slab where Jesus was taken down off the cross and laid on maybe and you get all of the um the pilgrims sort of like bowing over it and chanting over it and touching it and crying that to me is extreme devotion right so i'm picturing them yeah so this guy he does uh, brain images image um, imaging studies on people in that kind of state and he's looking at the limbic system which is the center of our emotions and it shows that there's a much higher activity while the frontal lobes, which ordinarily calm people down, start to shut down. Mm. So the parts of you that are to help you stay calm, they start shutting down during extreme religious devotion, which sounds terrifying well, to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and frontal lobes are also the, um, the rational part, I think. I mean, if I remember my neuroscience, that's the rational part. And yeah. The further back you go, the more emotional it is. So it's basically the rational part shutting down and then the emotional part taking over as the brain. At least yeah. that's me, Hakam, who's not a neuroscientist, just whatever. <laughs> well, that's, that's how I understood it as well. So it does sound terrifying. And in extreme cases, this can actually lead to hallucinations. So people might think that they are seeing God, hearing voices, or the angels are singing. So... Wow. Jerusalem syndrome tends to come on quite slowly, like with Hodge. Um, and it can also be linked to insomnia and anxiety. So mm. you can see how this would be like a perfect storm that would create someone thinking they were the Messiah in a hotel lobby. You know? <laughs> and there are also these urges to visit extremely religious sites like the Holy Sepulchre or the Church of Nativity in Bethlehem, combined with the fact that these, these religious sites are in a politically tumultuous region yeah yeah so you're choosing to go on a religious pilgrimage in not the safest area which we love because it's our our home but you know it's, it's not exactly the Maldives is it <laughs> in terms of uh tourism so these places are intense even if you're not religious because 
the Bible is basically, you know, the local history. It's actually where Jesus was born. It's actually where this happened, you know, save for some of the miracles, which obviously take a bit of leap of faith. This is the area where these people lived and breathed. Let me ask a question. So do you think that this behavior is highlighted because that person is a tourist? Do you think if a local, you know, like Tham or whatever, is having a conniption over his kanafa or falafel or whatever, like people just let it go, like whatever, just have a cigarette, Amo, chill out. But yeah. then when the tourists are doing it, they're doing it in such a strange manner that everybody's like, okay, this dude's crazy. He's not just having a moment. The idea of them being a foreigner plays into it, is what I'm asking. I think so, but I think I think the, that they might get some allowances because they're foreign. That might be true too. Because I right. kind of feel like if it was a Palestinian, that maybe they would be labeled a terrorist in this situation. Or they'd be arrested instead of put in a hospital, basically. Yeah, it would yes. be police instead of ambulance. Yeah. Jerusalem syndrome feels like a very nice name that wouldn't be given to anyone actually from Jerusalem. That makes Agreed. sense. Yeah. So um, for sure, there's some element of maybe white privilege going on here. Uh, you have Jerusalem syndrome, how quaint. Here, have some, have a stay in the hospital and, and, and a flight home rather than, yeah. You know. Yeah, I haven't witnessed any of this Jerusalem syndrome, which... Um, made me sad but I did find a really really good quote from one of these psychiatrists Jerusalem is an insane place in some ways it overwhelms people and it has for centuries the city is seductive and people who are highly suggestible can succumb to this seduction I'm always envious of people who live in San Diego where history barely exists <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh poor San Diego but you know it's there is just so much going on with Jerusalem, religious, religiously, politically, emotionally, yeah. financially. I don't know. It's um, it's super overwhelming. So when we mentioned earlier that uh, people failed to prepare mentally for a trip to Jerusalem, I totally agree that you need to prepare mentally for any kind of trip to Jerusalem. Yeah, that did make me laugh. So I looked at also what what happens when someone goes to hospital with Jerusalem syndrome, just in case. <laughs> Usually, the doctors just let them talk. They're not normally dangerous, so they're normally just discharged and encouraged to just go home, basically. The violent ones might be medicated, maybe kept in, but most of them are just basically sent home, back, you know, outside of Jerusalem. And that normally fixes the problems. That's not bad, is it? Like, in terms of so mental health ignore issues. Ignore it and it'll go away, I think. Yeah, just, just finish your holiday, go home, and, and it'll go away. I wanted to look at other, other mental health issues or concerns or, or syndromes that were location specific. And I found the Stendhal syndrome in Florence. So imagine Jerusalem syndrome, but in Florence, Florence, and because of artistic beauty rather than religious significance. So basically, visitors are consumed by the magnific magnific magnificence of the city's art and architecture. And so occasionally they, they might cry because of the beauty of it, but occasionally they might also be gripped by psychosis. Have you been to Florence? Oh, no, I've not been to Florence. Have you? Yeah, it's, there's something to it. I mean, there's something about that light that might've helped all those artists draw like that. Because right, yeah. It's just not like a those hills, man. That light on those hills is just, you see colors that you're not used to seeing anywhere else. There's something. 
but it, psychosis is a bit much. Like that's jumping the gun. Well, the most interesting case I found of the psychosis was a woman who started thinking that all the figures in the frescoes around the chapels were staring at her and were pointing at her. But she said, she's, <laughs> I know that would freak you out because I imagine there's a lot of figures in the frescoes and the whatnots, right? It seemed yeah. to me that they were writing about me in the newspaper and they were talking about me on the radio and they were following me in the streets. Wow. Right? <laughs> so, um, Florentine, um, Florentine, Florentine, Florentine psychiatrist Graziella Margarini described more than 100 tourists who had attended the Santa Maria Nuevo Hospital between 1977 and 86. So in under 10 years, 100 tourists who had experienced palpitations, sweating, chest pains, dizzy spells, hallucinations, disorientation, a feeling of alienation, a loss of identity, and some had tried to destroy works of art. So they all, oh. all of those had been linked to this Stendhal syndrome. Um, and this doctor says that the people were impressionable, they were stressed, and that the history and the art were basically just too much for a sensitive traveler. And she's the one that named it Stendhal syndrome. Hmm. Um, after the French author who himself described being absorbed in the contemplation of sublime beauty and seized with the fierce palpitation of the heart. Really. Um, there's a show here in the UK called Great Pottery Throwdown. And there's a judge on there who cries when someone makes something that's so beautiful. Like if it's too beautiful, he cries. And he's like a big guy with like spiky hair. He does not look like the guy that would cry over a bit of pottery being too beautiful. Huh. I think that's a version of Stendhal syndrome overwhelmed by the beauty of something. Well, that's just feeling things very powerfully, I suppose. Very deeply, yeah. And then I come to Paris syndrome, which you mentioned, which just was like the light at the end of the tunnel, <laughs> all this um, cuckoo bananas talk. Um, it's basically when Japanese tourists are disappointed by Paris. <laughs> In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opposite of Jerusalem syndrome or Stendhal syndrome, um, where people are overwhelmed by either the religious history or the, the beauty of a place, is when specifically Japanese tourists get to Paris, they've built it up in their mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. and when they get there, <laughs> Parisians are really rude to them, the Mona Lisa <laughs> is tiny, and nothing is what they imagined, and, you know, the... <laughs> The riverside smells like piss. <laughs> and they're just underwhelmed by the whole experience. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Because they're used to, in Japan, being treated, um, so apparently customers are treated like royalty, which is not the vibe you get going into shops in Paris. And yeah, they've just had it built up. And it's, it's basically an extreme form of culture shock that can leave people feeling a number of psychiatric symptoms such as acute delusional states, hallucinations, feelings of persecution. <laughs> perceptions of being a victim of prejudice, aggression, hostility from others, depersonalization, anxiety, and also psychosomatic ma manifestations such as dizziness, sweating, and others such as vomiting. Wow, it's just a giant disappointment, basically. Yeah, yeah you're puking because you're disappointed, <laughs> and you're really fucking disappointed, aren't you? <laughs> wow. I mean, it's always better to be surprised, pleasantly surprised when you travel somewhere where you weren't expecting it to be so nice and then it is, rather than to go somewhere with a built up idea of what it is and then get disappointed. 
But this is taking yeah, it to extreme. You want to you get excited about a place. And, and I presume if you've picked it for a holiday destination that you think it's going to be great. So I don't know where the balance is. I remember being very pleasantly surprised by the food in Belgium. You know, like I went to Brussels thinking like, oh, yeah, it's going to be dreary and cold and, you know, they probably don't. But no, they eat well, man. Like the seafood was top notch. The baked goods were great. The wine was excellent. It was just a really good place to visit. I just thought it would be like, you know, EU, whatever, right? Really sort of standardized, you know, European fare. But no, they had their own sort of cuisine. It was very, very good. As you know, I am half Belgian. I'm kind of selling it to the right audience, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I always get hurt when people think that Belgium's going to be boring. It's just because it's so lovely. Like, all we do is drink and eat. What's boring about that? That's paradise, isn't it? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. But you had, like, the opposite of Paris syndrome when you went to, to Brussels. So Yeah. yeah. It's better than puking from disappointment. That's right. I think you That's should right. count that as a win. <laughs> I wanted to finish up on Jerusalem syndrome with a couple of examples of Jerusalem syndrome in popular culture. I think that we might be of a similar generation that grew up watching X-Files. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was an episode where someone had Jerusalem syndrome after a visit to Jerusalem and he returned to the US and went on to kill a child who had signs of stigmata. I don't remember that episode, do you? No, I don't. And it's not accurate because they would have the syndrome in Jerusalem rather than when they get back. Exactly, exactly. So um, unless he had the type of Jerusalem syndrome where you already had pre-existing conditions that would obviously carry on after you leave Jerusalem. Oh, true, true. I don't think that we should count that as a sort of documentary evidence. No, it's Hollywood. Yeah. And then... (laughs) The Simpsons had an episode called The Greatest Story Ever Dode, where Homer um, and then eventually everyone in their group gets Jerusalem Syndrome, all thinking that they are the Messiah. I also don't remember this one. No, I got to go look these up. I mean, right? this is like so classic. That's what we did in the 90s was X-Files and Simpsons. Like that's that I was know. the whole decade. And I feel like if there was an episode that had anything Palestine related, we would remember it. Right? For real, right? That's your homework is to go and watch X-Files and Simpsons um, on the Jerusalem, the Jerusalem syndrome episodes. Fun homework. And then my final question was, did Jesus have Jerusalem syndrome? Oh. Because he thought he was the Messiah. Oh, mind boggling. Right. Perhaps a little bit blasphemous, but it's not the worst thing I've said on here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, Jerusalem syndrome. I've never met anyone who's had it. I would love to if anyone out there listening has had Jerusalem syndrome and wouldn't mind talking to us about it. We want to hear, don't we? Yeah. Maybe one day we will suffer from it. Maybe that's why I haven't met anyone. Maybe I'm the one with Jerusalem syndrome. Who knows? But Uh, yeah. Well, you know what they say, if you can't spot the sucker at the table, you're probably it. Yeah, exactly. That might, um, yeah, I'm open to this idea that that, that that might be the case. <laughs> well, Hakam, thank you so much for listening to me talk about Jerusalem syndrome. Hey, thanks for having me. Can't wait to uh, have you back for our next episode. So I will see you all soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
If you want lots more fun, moon info, and all things spiritual, plus our merch shop, please visit our website, weknewthemoon.co.uk. And if you want even more, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash we knew the moon and check out some of our bonus content we're also on facebook and instagram at we.new.the.moon and we're also on twitter at we knew the moon one see you next time